Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Ho, 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 hello, and welcome back to Bah Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that thinks a leg lamp could really tie this room together. I'm your host, Helen O'Hara, and today I'm going to be discussing the biggest controversy of this or any Christmas season. No, not whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is, but ask yourself why you care so much. And not whether it's okay to open presents on Christmas Eve in this country which is, in my view, being greedy unless you're Scandinavian or something and it's your family tradition. No, today we dare ask whether Richard Curtis's Love Actually is a warm, fuzzy, romantic Christmas story or a cold-hearted, dead-eyed monster of cynicism and sexism. It is the question that divides families, that divides friends, and that threatens all of our Christmases past, present and future, if not thrashed out once and for all. To help me delve deep into this film, I am delighted to be joined by two of my film journalist colleagues, Ollie Richards and James Dyer, who I've been working with basically since Love Actually came out and who, I'm delighted to say, have not yet managed to lose my number. Here's what they had to say about this absolutely thorniest of Christmas issues. So, Ollie and James, welcome to Bar Humbug. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Bar humbug? I feel that's more on brand for me. That is more on brand, which is why it's so, so surprising that you love Love Actually and why the much more, like, less misanthropic Ollie really can't stand it. Less, a little bit less. See, I think this actually makes sense and we'll get into this because it's not a romantic film. So I think that's why James likes it (laughs) because it's very surface romantic. There's nothing actually genuinely emotional going on. And that's just me in a nutshell, Claire. There we go. <laughs> He's cracked oh, it. End of podcast. Interesting. Okay, you see, immediately, cards on the table, not romantic versus the Christmasiest thing in the world. James, why do you love it? Because it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> I remember going to see this, whatever it was, Christmas 2003, I want to say. Uh, and I remember seeing it uh, with my then boss, Catherine Hanley, and going in there and just sort of being filled with sort of festive joy and being sort of like touched by the romanticism of it and just loving every minute of it. Now, you have to understand, I am very much kind of, I am Richard Curtis's particular, so we say, schmaltzy shtick, which is a bit Marmite, and a lot of people really don't warm to it. Uh, I've always been a sucker for it. Like, Notting Hill, absolutely. Like, I just gobble it all up. I can't get enough of it. And, you know, when he came up with this, he's, like, directing for the first time, and I was like, it's like, it's like Richard Curtis, but just the most Richard Curtis thing you've ever imagined all in your face all at once with like 14 separate stories all very and i was just like yes yes please give this to me now only 10 of course because they cut four of them they out did cut four of them yeah. out that's quite right that's that's true um but you're, you're right about the richard courtesiness because i was reminded last night when i rewatched it that of course it opens with love is all around mm. aka christmas is all around in this incarnation which i i've always thought like fair play that's making fun of your own massive success with four weddings and a funeral. So, you know, I appreciate that as a meta joke. I like that also it's partly like, isn't it the, the Chris Marshall storyline, which Ollie and I will 100% hold up. Like the Chris Marshall storyline is fucking hateful. Like there's no getting around it. It is the worst thing in this film and it should be, I mean, kill it with fire. But uh, that that was an off cut from, from Four Weddings, like that scene mm. of him talking to the, the waitress. That's from that's from Four Weddings. So, yeah, the caterer. Yes, that's right. For talking to the caterer, it's, 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 uh, it's from Four Weddings. 
that's fair. I so the only way that that story makes any sense to me. So he's of course Chris Marshall is the guy who flies off to America because he's convinced he will be a sex god Colin. in America. Colin, of course he's a Colin, and and improbably picks up like four supermodels within five seconds of arriving in Wisconsin of all places. Now the only way that makes sense to me is just as a cartoon. Yeah, like yeah. it just like it has no business being in a live action film. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it, it takes place in a different universe to the rest mm. of the film as well. Like it's so ridiculous, and it's January Jones, isn't it? Ivana Milatovich, uh, uh, Alicia Cuthbert, isn't it? And then. Um, yeah. Shannon, Shannon Elizabeth Shannon as well. Elizabeth. And, it's just... and, and no, Christmas Jones herself from, yep. Oh, it's D- Denise Richards. Denise, Denise, Richards. Denise Richards. It's Denise, Denise Richards. Richards as well. So I didn't know where you were going with that. Christmas Jones. Oh, yeah, Christmas Jones. Yes, well, there's not enough. Yes, Denise Richards. Yes, it is Denise Richards. But No relation. No. <laughs> but the whole thing with this, though, is like, and, and I know that this will come up, that shall we say the sexual politics of this film have are maybe showing their age a little bit, mm. but I think nowhere more so than here, because even in 2003, this was a bit, oh, come on, really? Like, mm. this yeah. and the Heike McCatch crotch shot, I think are probably the two most egregious examples of how time has passed. There, this is, I've seen this, I've seen a lot of people saying this because on social media, because obviously a lot of people are watching it this time of year. The amount of people are saying, oh, this hasn't, this hasn't aged well. Like things that were fine then aren't fine now. So <laughs> most of the things in this were not fine then. Like Andrew Lincoln hitting on his best friend's wife wasn't cool then. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't nice and charming. And it it's suddenly a in time, Ollie. I mean, It was not. <laughs> it was the same <laughs> time. This is weird, actually, because, you know, this is a a real point of discussion. You're absolutely right. People keep saying it was was a different time. It's just aged badly, but it was perfectly okay then. It wasn't perfectly okay then. You're right. Many of these things raised an eyebrow immediately. But what's strange to me is actually how few of them were discussed in the reviews at the time. The biggest criticism of the film at the time was not, this is super creepy and filled with (laughs) examples of incredible, egregious workplace harassment. (laughs) The main criticism was, it's too schmaltzy and cute. I'm like, I'm sorry. Alan Rickman has a line where he says, if the girls in the office want their breasts unfondled, they should avoid Kevin. Why is Kevin invited to Christmas party? <laughs> why does Kevin have a job? Yeah. Why does Kevin have a why, job? Why is Kevin not in prison? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think, yeah. Some things we clearly used to joke about and now don't. And and that has been, there has been a sea shift in attitude after, you know, Me Too and everything. There was, mm. there was a moment where things were joked about that are now taken more seriously. But a lot of this stuff, especially, yes, Juliet and Peter and Mark, the Andrew Lincoln, Kira Knightley story. I I mean, come on. That's a time thing. Because really, I don't think there's a problem with sexual politics there. I don't Mm. think he's being, you know, he's He's not sexually harassing her anyway. He's just being an awful friend and being wildly inappropriate. But, like, you know, it's not, I mean, it's creepy in a whole other way. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think I, I think you know that the, the trailer where they've set it to horror music that bit, like, and I think that that speaks volumes about that whole sequence. The I mean, what would anyone's reaction be if they discovered that someone had been videoing them in close up all day? <laughs> no one would think, oh god, that's so sweet. You're just that obsessed with me and have never mentioned it and have always been horrible to me. Everyone would be terrified. Yeah, it, it's pretty. It's pretty bad. The fact that Andrew Lincoln survived this with his career and his reputation intact. I mean, speaks a lot to him personally. Well done, Andrew Lincoln. But like, you're right. That's that's some horror movie shit. It's as, even though I detest this film. There's <laughs> I don't there other than Chris Marshall, whose performance I do not like at all. Mm. But you know, he doesn't have a lot to work with. There's no way of making that character charming. I like all the people in it. I think everyone does very well. I think they just do very well with absolute dreck. But like, are there any like Ollie? You you clearly have, shall we say, some issues with this. But like, <laughs> it's made up of a number of different threads. So obviously, yes. this was this was this yeah. was this was two films, wasn't it? Originally, he was doing it was. I want to say, and tell me if I'm wrong, Helen. It yep. was the Colin Firth storyline and the yes. Hugh Grant storyline, wasn't Correct. it? They were two separate films. He had a meltdown and then turned it into this, uh, and yeah. then it became a Christmas movie. But are, what like Ollie? Are, do any of the the plot strands speak to you? Like, what, are there any redeeming ones for you? None of them speak to me. Um, <laughs> I would say that the, I mean, it's, it's certainly not original set. The Emma Thompson is the only one I would say works. That's the only one that seems like a relationship. My issue with this film, well, I have many, many issues with this, <laughs> this film. My main issues with this film are, I love a rom-com. 
Like, mm-hmm. I really liked Four Weddings. I really liked Notting Hill. I don't think this film is romantic. This is not a film about people falling in love with someone. It's a, it's a film about people fancying people mm. and wanting to have sex with them and finding <laughs> out nothing about them. <laughs> there is not a single conversation in this film that people have where they oh, now I realise something about this person that's making me fall in love. It's all, I've seen that person, they're hot. And I like them. The other, I'm not finished. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm going to carry on. (laughs) The other thing I really, really, really hate about this Christmas film is that Christmas has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a a whole play, a a, a whole nativity play. Okay. So it plays a key role. So, yes, it ends with a nativity play. Again, for no particular reason. (laughs) But it starts off with this countdown of, oh, five days till Christmas. So... Like, what's happening at Christmas? And there's all these lines about Andrew Lincoln saying, oh, it's it's Christmas and you tell the truth at Christmas. That's not Where, a thing. Where's that come from? <laughs> Everyone lies at Christmas. You get horrible presents and you pretend they're lovely. It just keeps shoehorning in all these things because in fact that it's right at the beginning because, you know, it starts with Christmases all around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a theory that that scene is all about Richard Curtis taking the piss out of his audience. Because it starts off with uh, Bill Nye saying, why are we recording this rubbish? And um, (laughs) his manager says, basically says, if you attach Christmas to any old shit, people would lap it up. And then this film proceeds. (laughs) Doing exactly that. Wow. Wow. That is cynical. You've cracked it wide open. I mean, it's right there in the text. It's It's a cynical film. It's a very cynical film. But you mentioned there, the sort of Billy Mack and Joe. I would say like that is absolute evidence of a love that isn't about superficially fancying each other. It's when... You know, a one-sided, slightly abusive relationship, sure. But when he realises that the person that he loves is his manager, Joe. That's sweet. That, yeah. How do you not feel that? Uh, a bit. Although it does, correct me if I'm wrong and I've read it wrong. Okay. But it seemed like that seemed to, seemed to start off with him realising he was actually in love with him. And then it was basically just, I really like oh, you as no, a friend. Oh, no, I never read it that oh, way. I, I think, I think it, but maybe, maybe I'm, you know. Um, only, only at but... the beginning and I thought oh that's an, that's kind of an interesting revelation and then it was just like oh we're mates it's quite nice it's fine um, I always got the impression that Joe was in love with Billy oh I didn't get that Billy was just wildly narcissistic <laughs> but I, I think I think that and look and, and again maybe this is just me like a straight person just uh, missing a whole subtext but I just always thought it was the two of them realizing that they had a platonic love that they they were the people who who knew each other best who spent most time together who cared most who looked out for each other's interests most maybe not in the case of Billy and <laughs> you know and that that was the best that either of them had in their lives yes correct I think that's exactly what it is but there's a bit at the beginning of that scene where he comes in and says I realize you know you're the person I want to be with I love I love you I thought initially that's like it was going oh I've been harboring this love that I didn't realize I had for ages I thought that's really interesting it's still quite nice (laughs) that he realizes that they're friends but I mean, that's one of, that is probably the most entertaining story. That one is the most entertaining story. I think that's the most overall successful story. That could have been a film, I think, on its own. It would have been quite a boring film. I'm not sure it would have survived stretched out over 90 minutes, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say anything in this would survive stretched out over what two hours or whatever it is. Um, and then the Emma Thompson one works. That's interesting. That's she's like, amazing, though, isn't she's she? Brilliant. Yeah. She's brilliant. She's brilliant in it. I mean, still at times objectionable as a character, mm-hmm. but she's very, very good in it. Pretty much everyone's very good in it. Alan Rickman manages yeah. to be not completely hateful as a completely hateful man. Yeah, he does. Who abuses his position as a boss and a husband. Mm. Yeah, also true. Someone, Boo to you. Yeah, someone yeah. throw him off at Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza. All right, let's 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 go through a couple of the the other stories. I mean, the Colin Firth story is, I would say, the closest one to having two people fall in love, but only yeah. if you follow rom com rules. Now, this is something that will probably get me shouted out on the internet, right? But I feel like there's an element of magical thinking required for a lot of rom coms. And you have to assume that the two people on the poster are meant to end up together and that everything else is just essentially them telling the story of how they got together. And therefore everything is okay because there's a sort of almost inbuilt consent, right? Now, I realise that's immensely problematic. I'm not suggesting anyone ever, ever, ever apply it to everyday life. It's not a thing in in the real world. But in the rom-com world, maybe 
there is an actual connection there. Like they are on the same wavelength. I mean, the film goes out of its way to show that what, multiple times. What wavelength is it when they can't communicate? I feel like this this is almost the most problematic because it's so catastrophically superficial. It's just like, you're hot, I'm hot, let's fuck. And that's basically all it can be. No, but they are showing multiple, multiple times having exactly the same thought at the same time. Like they they, they talk to each other in their own language and the, and the subtitle the tells of us- nerve. The subtitle tells us they're they're saying the same things. They are they are on that the same true. page. That is true. That is true. The subtitles tell us they're saying the same thing. Yes. But that is true. It really needed a scene of them managing managing to communicate yeah. in a way that was more mm. her working out what his book was. Yeah. And it's the, I, this I I agree with James weirdly. I think this is oh this is one of the worst storylines because it really it's it really sums up the whole thing. If it doesn't matter who you are, I just think you're hot. And suddenly want to marry you. Yeah. But only after we've done some cruel jokes about your overweight sister. Yes. Yeah, that yes, was that was lovely. unnecessary. That was like, you know, that made the, the jokes about Thor and Endgame seem positively cheery by comparison. But um, those yeah. jokes are not as bad as the ones levelled at Martine McCutcheon for no reason whatsoever. No, no. And I her mean, she is, apparently enormous thighs. What is she? Maybe a size 10 in this film. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, at, at mm. most. And that's a UK size 10. A UK size 10 is like an American 6. She is maximum an American 6. And, and yet, people continually make a joke about her weight. I think it is meant to be a joke. I think the joke is meant to be this is a clearly slim woman who people are still. I'm not sure it is. I don't though. think so. My no. God, I hope so. No, I don't think so. I didn't. I didn't come across like that to me when they say, "Oh, the chubby girl." And she had the. She has the line about. Um, she basically broke up with her boyfriend because he was telling her to lose weight. If I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And then suddenly, Hugh Grant's assistant. Mm-hmm. says the sorry i haven't memorized any character names i oh refuse to they don't they don't deserve it there's too many of them um his assistant suddenly has the same reference of saying that she's got big thighs i think it's just supposed to be yeah. that she is yeah. to some people seen as enormously fat yeah but i just thought that was the joke that they were wrong no i, I really don't think so i think if we were charitable we'd say you're right i think in reality <laughs> it's almost certainly not the yeah. case oh, maybe i'm maybe i'm too charitable then okay fine yeah. enough but i mean yeah, that that story is, I mean, in professional terms, the absolute most problematic. Mm-hmm. He literally fires her because he is attracted to her, not because of anything she's done. Well, he fires her also because he thinks that she's been uh, flirting with the president. So no, I don't. I don't think he thinks that because if in that case, why would he stand up to the president? I think he knows that she has been like. If you look at the eye contact he's giving her while he's talking about taking a firmer stance with the U.S. president, I think he knows that she was not consenting to anything the president was doing in that room. I, I don't, don't think she. No, because he I don't gets think... rid of her, and then he's won over when he gets yeah. the card saying that, no, that no, it no. was all about him. No, he's he gets rid of her because she was a distraction because she made him do this very out of character thing that he's like, oh my God, what else could, like, what other effects could she have me? Ah. And then is one over when she says that she's basically his for yeah, some reason. I, I, that's exactly my reading of it. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, wow, we like it more than you do. Either way, he should be, you know, I mean, I know, so. I know this isn't a political podcast, but <laughs> there are people have stood down for a lot less. Than <laughs> yeah, that. That's, that's I mean, not true. in the recent government. No, not in, not no, in the current one. No. But uh, but yes, I, I, but this is obviously the most famous. This is the most high profile mm-hmm. of all of the stories. It is the A plot, I guess, if you will, yeah. uh, mainly because it's got Hugh Grant in it, and it has him sashaying across the floor at various mm-hmm. points, which is quite fun, dancing around number ten, and also the the standing up to. Billy Bob Thornton and, you know, rubbishing the special relationship has, has been much ballyhooed uh, yeah. by, 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 you know, all manner of people. But uh, wasn't it when, when Gordon Brown took over from Tony Blair that it became a big, this is what's going to happen? Yeah, and there, but there was talk about it for David Cameron as well. So yes. I think people just like the, the fantasy of it um, yeah. quite a lot in this country. And that's why they Brexited. Anyway, not to get political. It is the most most charming storyline, I think, even though it's, again, highly problematic, but the whole Mm. film is. Um, It's not the most problematic one. It is not, no. And he is very charming. This is is Hugh Grant in super charming Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah, Yeah, he's very good. 
and she's very charming. So that yeah. and there's a lot of talk in their in their flirtation about chocolate biscuits. So again, like bonus points just just there. <laughs> okay, how about Daniel? That's Liam Neeson and his son Sam. Yes, which just I mean it just kind of blows my mind that it's Thomas Brody Sangstone. <laughs> he's like what six or something? I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but Christ! And so like when they did that um, Red Nose Day actually thing. And he's like, mm-hmm. however old he is, like twenty something. Again, it just, I can't. I mean, clearly, I'm just not comfortable with the concept of people getting older. This is something that I can't quite wrap my head around. But it's like it's you from Game of Thrones. Look, I love it. I think it's lovely. But I think, you know, and maybe it's because of partly what happened to Liam Neeson in real life. But just there's something really heartbreaking about that whole thread. Like he has that real sort of hanged or just broken body language through it. That he's doing his best to look after this boy, and he's kind of in pieces. Um, and yes, sure, the Claudia Schiffer epilogue to that particular story is like having an anvil smack you in the face. But <laughs> other than that. But it's cute. I mean, again, cute. I will allow cute, funny, silly jokes now and again. And I yeah. thought that was, you know, Ringo is his played. god. <laughs> but they, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not sure. I've never tried to learn drums. I don't know if you could do that in what two and a half weeks and I'm not sure if having only played the drums for two and a half weeks that they would recruit you for the concert it's the power of love Helen it's the transformational power of love oh it's the power of fancying the popular girl who you've never spoken to (laughs) and just like her because everyone else likes her I mean and then you're and then I mean I think even the kid's as bad as everyone else frankly in his terms of his in terms of his shallowness he just, yeah, he doesn't that stare. age, you can excuse it, I think. Yes, okay. Um, yeah. And, but it, and again. in fairness, at that age, were you able to talk to, Anyone. you know, you'd you'd hear what they said in class, you'd maybe like be aware of them around the playground, you spent all these hours together every day, but like you couldn't just go and have a conversation. No, no of course. Mate, so, but just the the entire film has embittered, embittered me so that I can't even, <laughs> I can't even forgive a school-aged child for the shallowness of their feelings. Unbelievable. And, and and Joanna, the object of his affections, who's played by Olivia Olsen, has gone on to big work in um, as a voice actor. Actually, oh, really? Yeah, she's that. in Adventure Time and things like that. Ah, so, uh, well, well done so, yeah. 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 And she well had done. a hell of a voice. She's so, a very good you know. voice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I do like the Daniel stuff. I think he, he plays that kind of grief mm. thing really well. And I'm an absolute sucker for strong men trying not to cry in movies. I mean, Manchester by the Sea destroyed me, you know. I mean, why do you think I watched 15 seasons of Supernatural? <laughs> strong men trying not to cry every single freaking episode, I swear. It was amazing. Okay, here's my least favourite of the lot. Sarah, Carl and Michael. So Sarah this. is Laura Linney. Carl is Rodrigo Santoro. And Michael is her brother. I hate this mm-hmm. with a passion. Is it because I, I, you would oof. never knowingly kick Rodrigo Santoro out of bed, regardless of who fucking called you? Who would? <laughs> look, Take the I, phone I, off the hook and get on with it. I feel like, look, I feel like voicemail exists for exactly like, this it's reason. It's so I won't believe it. I cannot even, like, I, ooh, ooh. I don't I just, really understand the point of that one. Think, it feels I mean, feels like it doesn't really. It's the it's the of all of them. Yeah. It's the one like it gets to the point where you know we see that she goes and visits her brother in the hospital, and then nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, 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 than, it's a, a downbeat one, isn't it? It's a, it's a sad one. But then I suppose that was the Emma Thompson one. But this. but it's not really. But it's not really saying anything about relationships no. or like you know oh love can go wrong it's really she takes someone back and it doesn't happen and then it just disappears but it's different There's... kinds of love isn't it it's that, it's that she prioritizes the love for her mentally ill brother over the sort of man of her dreams you know and she, that's where her love is that she her family comes first for her yes over but the, lust. i feel like the thought can progress beyond that <laughs> Like well, she has, there were, a, there were nine other stories, Ollie. You know, well, they <laughs> weren't so much a whole lot either. <laughs> but it just, it didn't, it didn't come to anything remotely satisfying. That one, I thought. But it's, it's, it, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sort of mournful tone to it. Like I find that it's quite sort of emotionally resonant like are you like you feel the conflict within her <laughs> to randomly quote star wars um do you know what i mean like I, you do and you like you f- really feel for her in the way like her brother is kind of like impulsively violent towards her when he sees her and she just kind of takes it in stride because she's clearly very very used to it and i just like it, it's quite heartbreaking like she's someone who's clearly very lonely and is finding it impossible to hold down any kind of relationship or even you know function because she has this commitment to her brother and then the um, film's resolution 
solution is she just stays lonely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's it's a truth bomb, Ollie. It's it's, not, it's, it's a truth bomb. Just, it's not a story. That's half a yeah. story. I, I mean, I did. I, I have a lot of like practical questions about the fact that you know he has like twenty four seven access to his phone in that in that hospital. It it seems unusual. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't spent time in in an institute for for mental illness but it seems unlikely that he would have absolutely unfettered access because he's, he's not i don't times. think he's been some necessarily sectioned i get, just get the impression he live, has to live in an, an assisted living facility because he's you know oh it looks I mean, more it, 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 it looks more hospital like than it, like yeah. assisted living he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to be in like his own so what you are saying apartment. actually this is this is following up from the horror theme that he's like a convicted serial killer and it's a yeah, psychiatric no. hospital for the criminally insane <laughs> oh, and uh, and it's all just really really dark and they won't We're let him out until Arkham, he James. tells them where the bodies are buried that's, that's I, what I, I think he's shown to have genuine mental health issues that cause him to be violent and he's clearly in a you know a facility of some kind mm. and I, yeah, I agree with Helen he would not just be able to be calling her all day you know if he's all day if he's violent they're not going to yep yeah, it's just not going to happen Yes, yeah. because because this is where the suspension of disbelief ends and not the <laughs> Christmas angel in the shape of Rowan Atkinson. Well, we'll get to that, but I do want to finish off on this because I it, I think there is there is a story to be told here. There is a look at what carers do. Look how extraordinary carers are. Look at all the things they give up in their lives to take care of people who need it in our society. That's an absolutely you know wonderful thing to point out and a wonderful thing to be reminded of, especially at Christmas and a wonderful group of people to kind of pay tribute to. But like she's not his primary carer. She's not. She is, I guess, his emotional support. But it almost the only way that it makes sense to me is if she is essentially almost as as damaged and as in need of help as her brother is. Like she's able to function in everyday life, but she is absolutely like codependent. It seems mm-hmm. like she dials him on mm-hmm. several occasions. It's not just him calling her all the time. So you know, there, there there's a complete lack of boundaries. And again, voicemail exists, so you can get your rocks off with Rodrigo Santoro for like I don't know how long it takes. I'm not going to speculate. I don't want to take our minds into the gutter. But a while. And then you call your brother afterwards and make sure he's okay. And then, you know, we'll see where the, I mean, the night takes you. No it judgment. It may make all three of us terrible people. But, I mean, that was 100% just going to be left to ring. Like, there's just zero chance that phone was being picked up. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm no. so upset still. It's only been 17 years. 18. Still not over it. Anyway, Colin, I don't think we should talk about anything. Kill it with fire, kill it yep. with fire. Yep. It's just the absolute worst. It is terrible. It doesn't even make sense as a joke. No. Because the joke <laughs> is that he thinks he's got gift to women. Clearly isn't. He's horrible and yeah. a sex pest. And then he goes to America thinking that he's going to be God's gift to women and he is. Yeah. And What's he goes the there joke? And, and all American women are super hot and all sleep naked in one bed yeah. for warmth. Yeah. Like what's and the- it's just what clearly, it's a, yeah, but clearly, I think it's supposed to be. It's a send up of sort of like that kind of fantasy, isn't it? That ridiculous male fantasy, as well as that fantasy that maybe English men have that women in America will not be able to resist their accents. Um, but it's it, doesn't, like a, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense as a joke. It does the deluded idiot to yeah. so just go and have his delusions confirmed. <laughs> confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of the best possible case for this. Okay, so I, I do have a friend who moved to America and said that essentially the accent seems to mean that everyone credits him with an extra twenty IQ points. You know, like every just across the board, like he is assumed to be twenty IQ points higher than he is. Maybe there's an element of like it just gives you that air of sophistication and intelligence that Colin absolutely doesn't have. Totally doesn't have. I, I, look, it's it makes no sense. It's terrible. I was going to say you're incredibly charitable to it. I'm trying. It's indefensible. This this is is an indefensible story. (laughs) I can't even, yeah, even I will not. And the fact that he comes back and then just, and then he not only comes back with another very attractive woman who is given no semblance of having a thought in her head, (laughs) but he then brings a gift for his friend who it's not even, she's not even, it's not like, well, get to know this person. It's immediately have a woman. It's so yeah. horrible. It's awful. It's it's genuinely hateful. Okay, so that one works for all of us. Um, John and Judy. This is Martin Freeman and Joanna yes, Page. I love this. So weird. It's not weird. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's this is so absolutely weird. delightful. I love the fact that they meet basically naked simulating sex and then off camera they're all sort of very tentative and you know like nervous and whatnot i just think it's a really sweet inversion and i think they're very sweet together i I think it's lovely 
I like the idea. I've just found the execution so odd, <laughs> so weirdly graphic. Yeah, but but again, but I think in that's... a way, I mean, obviously, you know, this isn't. It's not made to accurately represent the film industry. Sure. <laughs> but it was just very odd how much she was topless. Yeah. This film has a weird preoccupation with breasts. <laughs> like, there is a lot of nudity that has no reason to exist. That is very true, like, actually. Not just not just um, Laura Linney and Joanna Page, mm. but also there's that exhibition that I think um, Andrew Lincoln's Andrew character Lincoln, is running, yeah. just full of boobs. Not in fairness, there are some male buttocks. Yes, yep. there are some yep. male buttocks. But it's just, it's there's a, this... It's really odd and it was really jarring that in this kind of supposedly cuddly, fluffy Christmas film, it's suddenly, here's someone naked for ages. <laughs> you know, the, hu- the human body does not need to, you know, does not have to be a, a sexual thing. It should be existing in its natural, natural <laughs> form, whatever. But it was, it's just, it's odd how tit heavy this film is. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I just and, uh, it was just let her keep her bra on. It's fine. Yeah, and also like I'm not. I just don't know. Like in terms of lighting, again, I'm not an expert in film lighting. I have not worked as a cinematographer, but you know, if you were wearing nude coloured underwear, wouldn't you still be able to get a pretty good read? They're, on... they're lighting skin. They're not lighting every single inch of your body, and she doesn't need to be for ages miming a blowjob. She could just be kneeling in front of him. That's still funny. It's inherently it just, funny. It was, it, it was, and oh, put your boobs closer to his face. I just, I found it weird. It is weird. It's obscene and it's absurd and it makes absolutely no narrative sense whatsoever, but it's just funny. It's undeniably funny. It felt it, that the tone of that one, mm. as, as nice as the idea was, it just felt, maybe I'm a huge prude, but it just felt, it felt out of kilter with the rest of it. It, it is the bit where if you're watching it with your parents, you suddenly get very interested in your book or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, God. I, must admit, I don't find like any of that as obscene as the crotch the shot. The oh, crotch yeah. shot. Like the crotch oh. shot is the bit where, and I seem to recall, because I think uh, Mark Como did a, he did a very long podcast with Richard Curtis about this film because he loves it to bits, as all right-minded people do, Ollie Richard. I fully respect Mark Como, and I disagree with him. <laughs> but even uh, Richard Curtis's own daughter has been like, Dad, what the fuck? Over that scene with Heike McCatch and her opening legs. Mm, yeah, that's... I, don't, I mean, look, I haven't worked in a lot of offices. I've been stuck working with you guys for most of my career. But like, I don't know of many offices where you'd get people sort of sitting like that in front yeah. of their boss. Draw it's me just... like one of your French girls. Like, it's like, it's <laughs> not accepted workplace yeah. behaviour. No. And, and look, similar in terms of the workplace thing, you know, I feel like John and Judy nowadays would be able to go to the intimacy coordinator and suggest some changes in the yes. onset behaviour um, of everyone involved. yes. Yeah, but I do like, I, I am with James a little bit. I do like the contrast of that. I love the fact that we see them in the epilogue a month later. They appear to be just engaged and headed off somewhere by plane. And and John's saying, I might finally get a shag. So they are very pure. They are very, very, very innocent and pure people. Yeah, I mean, I thought I took him as joking in that. But but <laughs> I do maybe. think, they. I do definitely believe them as a couple. Yeah, and I, I do agree with James that it is it is nice that they are sort of, very awkward and you know tentative around each other i do think i do think that works i think it for me got the the tone of it just slightly wrong (laughs) slightly wrong have you ever sat down and mapped out all the relationships between everyone good god no i've never done it myself but i have one because i googled it and i do have a a spider (laughs) chart which shows how everyone is related and it's only billy mack who's not actually connected to everyone except via their tv screens like they all see like he's playing in the background a lot of the time in the other stories but he's not narratively connected to them Uh, but all the others none of the others know ant or deck no, no, that's true. That's true. It's six degrees of Antor deck. But that um, makes but that makes sense. Like if he was connected to any of them, then his resolution wouldn't work as well, would it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly that. I say work as well. Anyone else he, in his, his, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gave it more credit than I, I meant to. It didn't work. It didn't work. Ah. No, it, actually, his resolution did work. Yeah. 
I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so the final story, and I hesitate to call it a story, is Rufus, is the Rowan Atkinson character. So in the commentary on this film, it was revealed that Rufus was meant to be a Christmas angel, which you kind of still get a little hint of, I feel like, in the film. And it's it's kind of a trope in a lot of Christmas movies. I mean, you'll all remember the character who's clearly Santa in the Princess Switch movies, right? Um, of course. Of yeah, course. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all of so, them... <laughs> All, all three of them, yeah. correct, yes. But uh, yeah, it's, it's he's weird, you know, he's he's just, it's a funny just one-off joke that he's taking 16 hours to wrap a present. But he does it very well because Rowan Atkinson is a God-level physical comedian and I think that helps an awful lot. Uh, I think he's brilliant and I think him turning up at the airport to, to let the wee in through to see his, his lady friend is lovely as well. I mean, yeah, it's not really a part, is it? He doesn't really have a role. It's just like he's kind of there and he's not. But I, I think he adds a certain something. Yeah, totally. That's the scene of him. The scene of him wrapping up the present is is probably the funniest scene in the film. Um, <laughs> I wish I didn't know he was supposed to be a Christmas angel because that's given me a new thing to hate about this film. Um, wow. Because otherwise well, so- I thought before, I thought, well, it's just coincidence. There's this man who turned up and overheard the child's conversation and then was trying to help. He's magic. He's magic. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought we could magic. I thought I could soften your stance on this, Ollie, and instead I've actually hardened your stance no, on that, he, actually. I think I think the Rowan Atkinson is probably the only part I have no issues with. <laughs> <laughs> Until now. Yeah. Until now. Oh, no. It was in the original script and then they dropped it because yeah, I fine. think they just thought it was fine. stupid. <laughs> but so I guess it doesn't really, doesn't really and, and carry And of course, as the Princess Switch shows, isn't stupid at all. It's totally sensible. Oh, yeah. my God, doesn't it just? Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, did we, like we talked about all the stories, did we properly talk about the Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson one? Well, I was about to circle back okay. to Emma Thompson because I feel like I was going to ask you what the best bit is, but I feel like we're all just going to say the same thing. So what's the best Emma Thompson bit? Which is the same as saying the best bit. Uh, it, well, it's 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 the least original statement in the world. So it's the bit where she you know, realises that her husband has bought his yeah. office employee a necklace and she's getting a Jenny Mitchell CD and then she just cries to herself. Oh, it's just... And it's Emma Thompson just being very, very good at acting. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Wow. And moving, moving cushions very movingly. Yeah, really. And straightening the already straight bed clothes. Yes, oh. that's it. Sorry, maybe she didn't move cushions. Maybe it was only straightening the, straightening the sheet. Yeah, she's... I mean, it, she's brilliant. She is brilliant. And just yeah. like the fact that she like he's made a mockery of her marriage, and it's just like it's really like oh, I mean he's a real shit, isn't he? He's yeah, the worst. He, is the worst. he is. He is a real shit. But one of the things I do like that it plays quite well about him, what's well, about that story, is that he's a shit in that he fully just goes along with his secretary really fancying him. He doesn't just mm. shut it down immediately. But the only saving grace they give it is that he doesn't go looking for it. Like he doesn't. She pursues her. Him. Exactly. I mean, I guess I, I, I get. I'm probably being as charitable as as you were when you yeah, shouldn't you, have been. Yeah, but I, I do. Like I think it it gives it just an edge of possible. Well, I still think she should leave him, yeah. even if she doesn't mm. at the end. Yeah. But it's not a total. He went out and betrayed her. As like as, I mean, 
I don't think we're led to believe that he has done anything yeah. other than bought this necklace, yeah. which is which in is, itself terrible. Yeah, which is awful. Which is so so but he hasn't so been awful. Having, but he hasn't been having an affair. No, but he's very much considering. Think he having hasn't one. at all. No, I don't think. I he don't has. think. I don't think no. anything's happened. I think he. I think. But it was clearly my going understanding to. of it. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know whether I read it like that. I just read that he was so. That he's completely wrapped up in this, the fact that this person fancies him and is just going along with it and being completely egotistical. Um, but I don't. I never got the impression that he's done anything or necessarily is going to do anything. I see. Um, also, just as bad as buying the necklace is buying yeah. her a Joni Mitchell CD. The woman who says, <laughs> like, not the fact that it's just a CD, but the woman who says she's loved Joni Mitchell for however many years, she's gonna have that CD. <laughs> she's gonna have those songs, yeah. She's not going. He, oh wow, what Joni Mitchell? I've never heard. Yeah, he 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 is clearly terrible at, at buying presents. And look, a lot of people are. I'm really struggling with present buying this year myself. But like, a lot of people are very bad at buying presents. But that is. God level bad yeah, present buying. That's pretty bad. It really is. That, I mean, it's. Well, do we read the end? So I know there's much debate about what it means at the end. Like they are together at the airport. So do we take that as she stuck with him? I think it's a. Is it your weekend with the kids kind of. Uh, oh, is that oh, how you read yeah. it? Oh, really? really? I've always thought she stuck with oh, him. Oh, I didn't. I thought, I thought. I think it's exactly the scenario she outlined after the play. Which is, you know, do you stick it I knowing that every day is going to be a little bit worse? I think that's where they I just are. assumed that they were just kind of co-parenting and doing what they were supposed to do. Oh, I read them still together. Which again, if that is if that is it, then that's, <laughs> See, another, that's bleak. Bleak. another bleak ending of <laughs> I mean either to be honest, either is, is very bleak. I don't know, you know whether they're know, together. But no, this. if she decides, like even put aside put like even putting aside the net well, part of putting the necklace aside, she realises in that moment that this man does not know her. Yeah. So she spent, shows she's now living with a man who has no idea who she is. If she then decided she was leaving him, I'd be punching yeah, the air. Like, yeah. Good for you. Take half his money. He's clearly got loads. Um, <laughs> everyone in this film has loads. It's everyone, true. Everyone, even, yes. even the quote-unquote dodgy end of Wandsworth looks pretty yeah. damn nice. It's still a nice yeah. house. I live very near Wandsworth and I've not noticed a dodgy end when I've been there. Um, yeah, it could have ended with her, part of the message could have been, love doesn't have to last forever. They could love have yourself. had this... Rela- exactly, exactly, Helen. That is better than any thought Richard Curtis had in this film. But it just instead it seems to end on this bleak thing of you just stick it out for the sake of the kids. Is that what is the message that that's love for the kids? Because I think many studies have shown... <laughs> But in fact, that's not the very best thing damaging. to do for your children. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But it's showing it's showing lots of different facets of love. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes no, it's, it's dysfunctional. Sometimes it's not. No, I disagree. It's not. It's not really <laughs> properly showing any facets of love. It's showing bits, bits of facets of love, bits, bits and of then things. just leaving them before it's really done any exploration of them. But it's so heartwarming. <laughs> but okay. But okay. Tell me a romantic thing that happens in this film. I do that. I, weirdly, I just find all of it just delightful. Um, go on, Helen's got a hand up. I have my hand up because um, the all you need is love at the wedding is romantic. Now, yes, he's overcompensating for the massive guilt he feels because he fancies his best friend's new, new wife. Okay, not a great motive, but that whole surprise at the end of the wedding is, I think, lovely. Mm. I mean, yes, if you separate, if you, it is if you separate it entirely from motive. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I admittedly, yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, I'm also factoring in the fact that from everything we hear people say at the reception for this wedding, they have planned it very badly. So actually, Andrew Lincoln has helped them out by doing the one bit of the wedding that people will actually talk about positively <laughs> and not the apparently extremely bad catering or the terrible DJ. So, you know. Yes, I got one thing right, but it's not a romantic gesture in the sense that no, it's no. done purely for the good of someone else. Yeah, purely for the good of someone else. Laura Linney thinks she is, I guess. So yeah, this is what this is why I dislike this film. It's a, it's like supposed it pretends it's incredibly romantic and nothing romantic happens in it. I don't know. I, you know, I, I think even if we gloss over the superficialness of the Colin Firth storyline, that is like, it's a, it, I, I still, that still gets me when it goes to the restaurant and it's the whole thing. I still, I still think that's lovely. Even if you take apart the fact they've never had a proper conversation. Nope, I disagree. It's like, <laughs> it's like proposing to someone at a wedding. 
It was, oh, a, it was whoa, a big, whoa. it was a big look at me gesture. He goes to this woman who has no idea that he's supposedly in love with her, having had no conversations whatsoever, knowing nothing about her other than he likes her in her bra and pants. But they finish each other's sandwiches. You're, you're mixing films. It's, Frozen is more romantic than this. And, um, and, and that relationship, if you remember, yes, it doesn't was, end well. Yes. Very bad. Yeah. Uh, but he go yeah, so he goes to this woman who, for all he knows, has not thought about him a day since they split up. Not split up, went their separate ways from their holiday home where she was working for him. And he goes and like in the middle of in front of everyone she works with, everyone she knows, he asks her to marry him. It's not it's not it's not it's not romantic because it's for him. But it's not for her. It turns out to be for her because exactly. Richard Curtis has made this total. He's just <laughs> picked out of the air that she's also in love with him, has been learning English. But there's, a, there's no, there is but no basis is... for it. Okay, it's just like... moments that don't connect to any human feeling. Okay, but like Sleepless in Seattle, you know, romance. They've never met. They've never really interacted. They've never had a conversation. But we buy it because these characters have been shown to have an almost mystical connection. And we just think they're going to end up together. Um, even if some r- reviews yes, would disagree with me. But it's part? like that. And they've, they've both, independently, they've had the same thoughts at the same time. They've both gone and learned the other person's language very badly in an attempt to, you know, be able to communicate them with them at some point in the future. Do you know the so, key part The key part of what you just said, Helen? We've been shown. <laughs> yeah, but it's a film. We're always showing everything. No, I mean, we've, best, we've, yeah. been sh- we've been shown in Sleepless in Seattle that they have a connection. In this, we've we been... We are Not really. Through we've been subtitles. shown that they talk about the same things, mm. but they don't share a connection because they have no idea yeah. they're saying the same things. Yeah. They just... it's It's been shown that they like each other, but they've had no... Neither of them has a sense that the other one likes them. They don't, okay. don't realise they're falling being in Being charitable, you're supposed to assume that this connection they have transcends language barriers and there's just something <laughs> sort of like spiritual, like they're soulmates or something, and not just like he had a look at her ass and went, hmm, you know. But again, I'm totally up for that. Show me. <laughs> Demonstrate it. Don't just tell me that this is romantic because, because they're supposed to fall in love. Show me these people falling in love. Look, Richard Curtis is many things. I would say a nuanced, subtle filmmaker is maybe not one of them. He's, I've said this many times, I think Richard Curtis is a brilliant writer who should not be allowed to direct his own script. Because I don't, I don't think, and I don't mean that that's not supposed to be bitchy. I think he writes fantastic scripts. But I don't think, as a director, he... He doesn't kill his babies, basically. Mm. He doesn't take out the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Like All his films are incredibly long because <laughs> he just leaves everything in. Which story would you lose first, apart from Colin? Obviously Colin, uh, yes. We're going to get it down to eight stories. We've taken Colin straight Ooh. out. Ooh, what is, what oh, else? This is a good game. I like this game. Um, well, I would lose so lose them in their current form. Yeah. As in, so well, then lose Laura Linney because it does Laura nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely would. I would yeah. lose Laura Linney. You'd lose the Colin story. You'd lose Laura Linney. <laughs> Um, hmm. And you give everybody else a few, you know, HR lectures. See, I, yeah, I would, and then reconvene. I would definitely, yeah, because I wouldn't lose the Kira Knightley Andrew Lincoln one because I think it's like it's like you, you. I think you need that particular hate thread in there. <laughs> I think it actually it wouldn't be but, Love Actually without the hate one. <laughs> but we're not supposed to hate it. Oh yeah, I know we're not. But I think you know I like it and hate it in the same way. I remember reading an interview with Kira Knightley where she talks about why she wears that ridiculous fucking hat. You know, like the flat cap that she's wearing or the yeah. beret, whatever it is. And she said because oh, she, she had a huge. She had a massive massive spot, yeah, on her forehead. So she has the hat pulled down to cover this spot, which is apparently the biggest spot she's ever had in her life. And so it was a decision. It was a decision on the day that they just give her a hat. And I think she's because she was eighteen, wasn't she? I said she said it's that's what happens if you cast teenagers to play. Yeah, let's not even get the age question is also not every. I looked. I looked it up, and I think the minimum age gap between man and woman, not counting uh, Thomas Brodie Sangster, um, was 12 years. That's the minimum. That's the minimum. Like, Laura Linney is older than Rodrigo Santoro. Mm. Oh, so that's the exception to the rule, Yes, but all the others, it's over a decade in difference. Mm. Not great. It's not great. (sighs) Okay, but but we really like Emma Thompson. We do. So Love Actually remains a Christmas classic. Hang on, what? <laughs> I, I did not did agree I miss to that section of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am not. I'm not ordaining this. I'm just describing the situation, because that does seem to be the case. Because it still seems to be 
wildly beloved in a way that I really don't it understand. It is my absolute, myself. if we're not counting Die Hard, which we absolutely should, which is the greatest Christmas movie, but if we're not, if we're not counting no Die no Hard, have you done your you. Die Hard no episode yet, Helen? Have you done no, that No, I'm one? saving it for a really, like, a rainy day. Yeah. <laughs> um, if no one no one argues that Die Hard's not a Christmas film, except people who want to argue that it is. <laughs> yes, true. No one else cares. <laughs> the Princess Bride Fine. is a Christmas film. You don't hear me going on about it endlessly. Yeah, I mean, Lethal Weapon is a Christmas film. But anyway, this is a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but this is my favourite Christmas movie like this is the one that i like to watch at christmas so So, good lord insane (laughs) i mean didn't elf come out pretty much the same year as this and bad santa i like elf i got time for it but i couldn't rewatch elf the way i rewatch this i just i just find this lovely i genuinely don't understand it so uh i i have many friends who love love actually and i just won't talk about it with them because you know let people like what they like i'm only i'm only slagging off here because this is the point of this podcast exactly you were invited but with that with that aim in mind otherwise i've no i've no I, d- I don't want to have a discussion with people to tell them that they can't love like love actually fine go ahead i hate it but you do you you just you you Enjoy your absolute trite. Does the missing comma upset you? <laughs> no, no, because it's not apparently. Wasn't it used to be? That I, I seem to recall from writing news stories about it before it came out that it was at one point love comma actually, and then they dropped the comma. It I think that was a misunderstanding. It doesn't annoy me because my favourite film is Who Framed Roger Rabbit and that doesn't have a question mark, so I've made my piece <laughs> with punctuation. You've made your piece with it. Okay, fair enough. Rather than draw attention. Exactly. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Exactly. It's just like, it's the end of a sentence, isn't it? Yeah, okay. So, okay, Love Actually, you've got some explaining to do and and frankly, some very, very difficult conversations ahead with HR. Mm. But in the meantime, thank you, Ollie, and thank you, James. It has been educational. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are welcome. But, and still, Merry Christmas to you both, <laughs> oh, regardless of whether I agree with you. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! just heard a stripped media production. 